For the last 27 years, I've been traveling around Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Arizona, teaching evangelism seminars and trying to help people learn how to get out of the holy huddle. <laughs> Christians love the holy huddle, don't they? Yes, Jerry, talk to me. Yes, I want to help you with that, okay, on Saturday. Uh, I know I'm at the age where I can't see anymore, can't hear anymore, but praise God, I can still drive. So, <laughs> I don't even buy green bananas anymore either, so. All right, now. It's a miracle I'm here. If you're visiting this church, please don't judge this church on this morning, okay? <laughs> please. I always tell people that. For 27 years now, I've been doing this. And uh, so, now I'm here by divine appointment today. So are you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has something to say to you today? Yeah. All right, then listen up. We've got to have that mental attitude, don't we? That when, when I come, whether it's a Bible study or a home study or church, God, you've got something to say to me. All right, now I trust you'll be open to hear what I'm going to have to say. I'll tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to get through. I'm just going to hit highlights so if you think, see me looking at my notes, it's not because I don't know. It's what I need to share with you and what I need to gloss over this morning. Now, one commercial and then we'll get after it. Does anybody beside me hate commercials? I hate commercials. I mute commercials. Okay, one commercial, please don't mute it. I've had these books in my car now for 27 years. I carry a box of books in my car. The book is A Life That Matters. My prayer is that every Christian in America would read this book. And I used to sell these. I don't anymore. Well, I don't. I do periodically, but I, we're not selling them here. The church is going to take care of it. Praise God. I used to tell people, if this book doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> and if this book doesn't light your fire, the church will give you your money back, okay? I used to say I would, but I quit doing that. <laughs> all right, all right. How many of you know who Peter Parker is? See, <laughs> See whose hands are up? Peter Parker? Spider-Man. Come on, haven't some of you seen the Spider-Man movies? Okay. On the first page of this book, they Spider-Man. Yes. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Of course, you know the story. The spider bit him, and he had all these powerful uh, stuff that he could do, and is amazing. I saw some of the movies, too, even at my age, so don't, okay. But Peter Parker, Spider-Man, made this comment. Wow. 
He said, for me, the choice to live an ordinary life is no longer an option. Once more, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, the option for me to live an ordinary life is no longer an option. Well, if Peter Parker could say that, he doesn't even know Christ, what about us that have the living God in us? Amen? Man, alive. We got to get out of the holy huddle, folks. Time's passing us by. Now, a few other little things of, uh, of introduction that uh, have really gripped me as well. Do you remember in the last chapter of John, chapter 21? Don't turn to it. Don't. I've got another passage I want you to turn to. Just trust me by faith, okay? Remember John 21. Jesus had already risen from the dead, getting ready to go back to the Father. He was cooking a little fire there on the beach. Remember that? They were, and Peter said, I'm going back fishing. And the other disciples said, we're going with you. So they went back fishing. All right, tell me you remember that. All right, now, do you know that almost in the, in the Gospels, I love the Gospels. I've preached hundreds of sermons from the Gospels. Jesus asked almost 200 questions in the Gospels. He asked people questions, right? All right, now, what is the last question Jesus ever asked before he returned to the Father? The last question he ever asked. Does anybody remember what it was? All right, some of you got it. Good. Peter, three times. Peter, do you love me? Now, I'm going to ask you twice now, so pay attention. Twice I'm going to ask you this question. Number one, if you told Jesus this morning that you love him, would he be impressed? That's a tough one to think through, isn't it? Do you love him? Would he be impressed? Now, I'm going to make a couple more comments, and then I'm going to ask you again. Why did he ask him that? He asked him that because he'd gone back to fishing, and Jesus wanted to remind him, Peter, I called you into the people business. Now get back at it. All of us are in the people business. The only thing going to heaven is people. Amen? I used to tell my wife, your antiques aren't going to heaven. She loved antiques. Then she said, well, your golf clubs aren't going either. <laughs> I know. That hurt somebody. You'll get over it. So I need, we need to understand that. All of us are in the people business, and I want to help you with that, all right? 
It's just an amazing thing when we think about the life of Christ and what he was building into the disciples' lives. So, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came on a search and rescue mission. And he's asked all of us to join him on a search and rescue mission. All right? And don't, many times we just slide back into our self centered world. Don't think Jesus doesn't take note of that. Now, I found a statement here that I love and I believe it with all my heart. Listen to this. Nothing will fill your heart with a sense of worth and value than knowing that you've made an eternal difference in somebody else's life. Do you think of how many thousands? I came to Christ on a college campus at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington, and in four months, I was a freshman in college, 67 years ago, standing in the middle of a college campus on Easter week, sat in church for almost 20 years. Oh, I believe all that stuff never changed my life. And I stood there getting ready to go home for Easter weekend. And I stood there. And for the first time in my life, I went to church. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I knew I could say the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments backwards. But I'd never had a spiritual birth. And I committed my life to Jesus Christ that afternoon, standing in the middle of that campus, and trusted Christ as my Savior, and my life was transformed. I was the talk of our campus, especially when you're at a Lutheran school. Is anybody a Norwegian Lutheran like I am? Well, I was. I'm still a Norwegian, though. <laughs> okay. I see there's a few Norwegians here. Okay. You can't get rid of us, boy, I'll tell you. You gotta crush our eggs to get rid of us. And I'll never forget the president of our college, brilliant man with a PhD. He called me into his office. Wow. Here I am, this little freshman. I'm a brand new Christian. You know what he said to me? We were talking. Got a PhD, a brilliant man, and here I am, this little freshman kid. He said, Jerry, I want to say something to you. You've been a Christian your whole life. You were sick, but now you're well. I got real quiet, and then I said to him, can you believe this? I'm saying to him, this brilliant man with a PhD, and here I am just trying to pass one class. 
I said, I've been reading my Bible recently, and I came across a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that we are dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in his mercy and grace, came to us. And I looked at him and I said, Dr. Eastfold, I wasn't sick, I was dead, and now I'm alive, and that's what the students are seeing. He didn't know what to say. So, that's the beauty of it, the beauty of it all. And ever since college, ever since that first buddy of mine came to Jesus Christ in my room in college, all of a sudden I realized nothing gives me more of a sense of purpose and meaning and value in my life than knowing I'm making an eternal difference in people's lives every week. You know what I did yesterday morning? I wasn't right. Well, they asked me, so... I didn't say no. I went way up on the north side of Spokane to a place where people are, older people are staying. I, they got a room for me, but I'm not ready, quite ready yet. But there were, there's a couple. And he prided himself in what an atheist, he'd been an atheist his whole life. His wife was dying, and she finally decided she wanted to talk to somebody. So he made a contact with his friend. His friend said, Jerry, would you? <laughs> yes, I will. So I went over and sat in that little room looking at this lady that I didn't know if she'd be alive today. And with this husband of hers, that it was a miracle that he even asked me to come in there and talk to her. And can you imagine what gripped me? This might be the last time they ever hear what it really means to know Christ and to get their lives ready for eternity. Because we're all going to live forever. Somewhere. That's why I love that phrase again, too. And I know you've heard it time and time again. What the heart of the matter is what? Location, location, location. We're going to live forever. Where, where are you going to be? And that's why I realized, too, in my own life, you know that I remember when my dad left us and we were, I have a twin sister. I refer to her as my womb mate. We're the only two left. Her husband died 12 years ago. My wife died a little over six years ago. So here we are alone, the two of us. <laughs> but how my mother prayed and wept and cried us through middle school, cried me through high school. 
And how I praise God for that precious woman who's at home with the Lord now. And I'll tell you how I praise God for her. And can you imagine those precious moments that I had with this couple yesterday? And when I walked away from there, I said, oh, dear God, I hope what I said to them is going to be the turning point before it's too late for them to come and know our Savior. So I get in interesting situations. Here's my last little statement on this. When I share his passion and I partner in his mission, he knows I love him. Do you share his passion? Are you a partner in his mission? Then he knows you love him. All right. Now, two other passages of Scripture that have really absolutely been a foundation of what I've been doing for at least, well, over the last 67 years, but nothing like this is all I've been doing for the last 27 years. Two passages that I pray will never be the same for you again, and that's the way they've been for me. All right. Oh, one last question. One more thing, and then I'll get to my passage. Most of you have heard, heard of Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Remember him? One time he sat in my car in downtown Los Angeles, and he looked at me and he said, Jerry, what's the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life? And I said, well, that's easy to answer that question. The greatest thing that's ever happened in my life was the day I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he said, what's the greatest thing you can do for somebody else? Class. What's the greatest thing you can do for somebody else? Class. A guy said one time, and I've never forgotten this, most Christians are like rivers that flow into the North Pole, frozen at the mouth. I hope I didn't describe you. I better, okay, I, <laughs> let's move on. I can see some of you are saying, I, some of you are going to say to the pastor, <laughs> I hope this is his last Sunday. All right, now listen up. I'm reading from Matthew 9. The last three verses of Matthew 9. And if you've got a Bible and would like to turn to that, then I'll read it and make a few comments on that, and we'll move on. And uh, I'm trying to behave myself this morning. All right. All right, listen up. I'm beginning at verse 36. Because Jesus had been teaching in the towns and villages and in the synagogues. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask. Ask. That's a command verb. Ask. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out, thrust out, workers into the harvest field. Okay, look up. That's our three verses. When you hear the word harvest, what comes to your mind? Everybody's working, and there's a sense of urgency. I live with a sense of urgency. Well, you would too if you were my age, but you know, all right, now I've, I, you, some of you were thinking that. I live with a sense of urgency. We're not in the fourth quarter anymore, folks. We're in sudden death overtime. And when we think of all the family and friends and relatives that we know that are outside of Christ, is this going to be our year to step out of our comfort zone and make an impact for Christ? See that word, send out workers? You know what that means? It, the verb kind of means to thrust out. So you know what the pastor ought to do every Sunday morning? He, he, he goes to the back of the church. He ought to grab every one of you, one by one, and say, now get out there. And by the way, I'm not even going to charge you for this thought. The guy that wrote this book, A Life That Matters, Every day when his kids went to school to get on the bus, he'd stand in the doorway and yell at them, go mad. Every day, five days a week, go mad. Finally, a neighbor came over and said, man, he said, that really upsets me. I hear you yelling at your kids, go mad. He said, they know what I mean, M-A-D. Make a difference. So every time you leave your house, every time your wife goes shopping, oh, well, I shouldn't, I'm, that's, not, I'm gonna, that's not a good one. <laughs> that's not a good illustration. Okay. Well, here's my point. Let's challenge each other to go mad. I want to make a difference in my world, don't you? Well, you got to suck it up then and get after it. And then here's what I love. All right. And that's why I remember the, in the end of John, end of John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And the disciples didn't get it. And Jesus said, don't say there's four months and then come to the, and then there will be a harvest. He said, lift up your eyes and look. Look. Look where we are in our ungodly culture. 
Look where we are with people who are helpless and hopeless without hope and without God. So lift up your eyes and look. You know what helped me with this too? I lived in Oregon for 23 years before I moved back to Spokane 21 years ago. I grew up here, by the way. I was a North Central Indian. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, moved back here. When I, before I moved back here from Oregon, I met a brilliant eye surgeon. And he asked me if I would teach a Bible study in his home, which I did for a year. His office was in near downtown Portland and is at the Oregon Eye Bank. Do you know that I lived in Oregon for years and didn't know there was an eye bank? You know, just go in and get a couple of, you know, get a couple of new ones. Anyway, he had the reputation for being the number one eye transplant surgeon cornea transplant surgeon in the western part of the United States. Brilliant man. And knowing him motivated me to pray. Lord, I need a divine eye transplant so I can see people like you do. Sheep without a shepherd. That's how I see people. That changed my life. I was, uh, <laughs> I was coming home from golf one day, and I drove by a big high school. It was across the street, and what school was out, and there was about 20 high school kids standing on the corner. When's the last time you drove by a big high school? Seeing some of these strange creatures. Sorry. I love high school kids. I could spend the rest of my life with them. I drove all over LA speaking in high schools. I still can't figure out why they buy clothes with holes in them, but I'll get over it. But standing and sitting there in a long red light, here's these high school kids, and one kid walked away from the other group, and he had a ring through his nose, underneath his chin, through his nose and underneath his chin, eating potato chips. And I looked over at that kid, and you know what I thought? I can't tell you everything I thought, but... But you know what hit me like a ton of bricks? Just another sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if anybody will ever tell that kid that somebody loved him enough to go to the cross for him. So Jesus said, that's why I love this passage. Jesus said, I want you to see people like I see them. 
How did he see them? Sheep without a shepherd. I want you to see what I see. I want you to feel what I feel, I felt. And what does the passage say? It says, Jesus had compassion on them when he saw the hopelessness of their lives. And he said, that's what I want you to be. I want you to get come to grips with the whole concept of, I want to see people as sheep without a shepherd, and then I want to feel what he feels. I want to feel compassion to be able to open my mouth And by the way, that's a new prayer for all of us. I'll teach you more about that on Saturday morning. Lord, open up doors for me to bring up Jesus. Lord, open their heart. Lord, open my mouth. That's the three open prayer. Open doors, open hearts, open my mouth. Tell me you got that. And that's what I pray every day I leave my house. Every day. Lord, bring somebody into my life that I can touch for you today. And then I added to that. Lord, bring people into my life where you're already at work. They just need to get hooked up to somebody like one of us. Right? Right? Well, that's pretty weak. So Jesus ended this passage with, I want you to see what I see. People that need a shepherd. I want you to feel what I feel. Filled with compassion. And then I want you to do what I did. And then reach out and start touching some people. That is a simple passage that has transformed my life. So there is the first passage. Tell me you've got it. And if that can grip you, it can change your life. You want to see, feel, and do. You want to see, what do you want to see? Talk to me. What do you want to see? Sheep without a shepherd, that's how we see people. What do we want to feel? Com compassion, that's better class, okay. Then what do we want to do? Start reaching out and getting into spiritual conversations and watch God work. All right, I've got more on that, but I'll resist. Now, oh, one more passage, and then we'll pray. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, well, go there anyway. Just go there for a minute anyway, would you? 
Go to Luke 5. Oh, I love this. Absolutely love this. Okay. I'm sitting here, Lord, what am I going to do now? Okay, this is going to be the quick, the quickest version. I might, you know, if he gets brave enough to have me again, I might give you the rest of this. But at least let me look, let's, let, let me read a little bit of it so I can give you the main point before we pray. One day, I'm pick, uh, Luke 5, I'm picking up at verse 17. One day, as Jesus was teaching in a home in Capernaum, I've been there twice. People came from every village of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and they were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Before I get any further, can you imagine a house packed with people in all the front rows were some of the religious leaders and they were there to criticize. But the power of the Lord was there. Nineteen nineteen seventy seven. I'm from Oregon. Nineteen seventy seven. Anybody know what what an awesome day that was? It's the only year that Portland ever won the national basketball championship. had season tickets and I got to go and before the players even came out on the floor you could cut the atmosphere with a knife it was so electric isn't that what church ought to be would you like to come to church God's at work here. I believe that. And the reason I came a few months ago was the couple over here that I married 10 years ago. (laughs) And uh, they invited me and I'm still here. All right. Here's the part part of the story that you know the best. Four men came carrying their paralytic friend and they couldn't get into the house. So they walked up the staircase like many homes in the biblical times because it was so hot, they built a stairway on the outside of the house And they would get relief from the heat in the evenings on a flat roof. So they went up there. 
because they couldn't get in the door. Dug through the tile and lowered their friend right into the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine this morning if we were sitting here and we heard some noise and somebody was digging through a hole in the roof and they were going to lower some guy down here? You remember that, don't you? Incredible story. And Jesus said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed him. But why did he say your sins are forgiven first? Because that's the greatest need in every life. That's why, you know what I love to tell people? I'm loved and I'm forgiven. I've got a purpose for living. And if I don't wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to be with Christ forever. What a hope is that? And how many people don't have that hope? So that's what I like to talk about. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way. But this paralyzed man was wealthy. You know why? He had four friends that would pay any price to get him to Jesus. You got any people like that in your life? You'll pay any price to help them come to Christ. Well, we're going to work on all of that. And God has really blessed me in sharing Christ with my relatives. And I want to help you with that too on Saturday. We're loved, we're forgiven. We got a purpose for living. We've got an eternal hope. Would to God that we make him known. Father, thank you for these moments together. I can only pray that you've spoken to every heart. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.